Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, one last time, uh, at least this go-round, and uh, we're going to pick up reading. Well, let's just back up and start with verse 10 again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you may know also my affairs, and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. This is, and will always be, the Word of God. We've worked through this second half of Ephesians with one uh, main thing in mind, and that is in order to walk worthy of the calling that God has, to which God has called us, we must live lives that are full of the Holy Spirit of God. And we've spent several weeks and even a few months looking at all the implications and, and the applications of that command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And last week, as we started working towards the conclusion of this letter, the last thing Paul wants us to know is that the Spirit-filled life is a life of war. It's a life where war is waged. Every Christian who is living a full life in the Holy Spirit, truly living their lives for the glory of God, is engaged at all times in spiritual war. That may discourage you. It may encourage you to know you might be doing something right if you're in the middle of a fight. But it's the reality that every Christian life, every life that honors God will be a life that faces hard times, that will face attacks from the enemy, from Satan and his armies. And in this final section of the letter, Paul has been teaching the Ephesians and us how to make sure that we're able to stand firm, to stand fast when we face the attacks of the enemy and his army. We looked last week, we must know where our strength comes from. Remember in verse 10, he says to be strong in whom? In the Lord and in the power of his might. Two of you are awake this morning and I'm glad you're here for it. I'm just going to preach to you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
We have to recognize that our strength is not in ourselves. There's no way that we could ever stand on our own two feet in the spiritual battle we face. We must be strong in the Lord. Our strength must come from him. We must know our enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? I think we covered that well. Nobody in this room is your enemy. Nobody in this room is my enemy and I am none of your enemy. But we wrestle against whom? Against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The war is being waged in the spiritual realm in things that we cannot see. And we must know that there is a devil, there is a lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. And we must know too our armor, how we can stand against this enemy. You see, our enemy is spiritual. The war is spiritual. Therefore, our armor and our weapons must be spiritual. And as he concludes this section, he gives this final command uh, there in verse 18, and it is to do what? To pray. To pray. In fact, verse 18, and, and some of your translations reflect this, verse 18 doesn't even start a new sentence for Paul. Not that it's an uncommon thing for Paul to run sentences on and on and on without a break, but it's not even the start of a new sentence. It's a continuation of the passage that we looked at last week on the, the armor of God. It's as if he's saying, while you're girding your waist with truth, be praying. While you're putting on the breastplate of righteousness, be praying. While you're shoeing your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, be praying. While you're taking up the shield of faith, be praying. While you are taking to yourself the helmet of salvation, be praying. As you wield the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, be praying. Prayer is our access to God's resources in this spiritual war. If we can't stand on our own two feet, if there's no way that we can fight in our own strength, how do we get access to God's strength? How do we get access to the help that's available to us from God? And the answer to that is this, through prayer. The reason that we're not so serious about praying as we ought is because we've forgotten that we're standing right in the middle of a war zone. You see, if we recognized what was really going on in our lives, if we recognized the things going on as attacks from the enemy, we would be fervent, constant in prayer. And if we have a lack of prayer, it's because we don't realize that we really are facing a spiritual battle. John Piper wrote a book several years ago. It's become very popular called Let the Nations Be Glad. It's a book on missions. And he started the second chapter this way. Here's what he says about it. He says, we cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it's certainly that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and its unbelief. It's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it into a, a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. But God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie 
so we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Many times our prayers we feel aren't answered because we're asking for the wrong things. We're asking for more comforts. We're asking for an easier life. We're asking for things that just benefit us and the glory of God and the mission of the church is not near our minds at all. But one of the main reasons that God has given us access to him through prayer, besides communion and fellowship with him, is to call on him for help and to have access to his resources in this spiritual war. So in the conclusion of this letter, Paul teaches us how to pray in the midst of a spiritual war of the Christian life. And he leaves us with an encouragement here at the end. How do we pray in the war? Let's look at uh, seven things here that I see in these verses. The first is this, pray always. Pray always. He says just that in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. See, Paul said the same thing to the Thessalonians, didn't he? He said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we walk around at all times mouthing words and prayers to God to the neglect of other duties and conversation with other people. That actually could become a pretty good excuse to not have conversations with other people. Sorry, I'm praying. Who's going to argue with that? So it's not that we're constantly at all times mouthing words of prayer to God. In fact, Jesus says we're not heard for our many words. But the idea is this, is that we're constantly at all times in our lives walking in fellowship, in communion with God. At all times and over every circumstance, we give thanks and we give praise and we send our requests to God. You see, those in-the-moment prayers, how many of you have prayed the prayer in a moment where something happens and you say, God, help me? That's a short prayer, right? We pray those kinds of prayers all the time. But you know what? You can't live on just those kinds of prayers. Those short, in-the-moment, God, I need you right now kind of prayers have to be rooted in a lifestyle of prayer, in time spent in the presence of God in prayer. I know that not everybody's a morning person and there's no Bible verse that says you have to get up first thing in the morning to do this. It's the way Jesus did it, but you know, he's just Jesus, right? Uh, get up in the morning, get on your knees and spend time with God. Hear from him in his word, talk to him in prayer, have communion and fellowship and time with God before your day ever begins. And out of the overflow of that throughout the day, you can stay in constant interaction, constant fellowship, constant communion with God. I'll be honest with you, on Sunday mornings when I'm up there and we're finished singing and I'm getting ready to walk up to the platform, I'm asking God short prayers on the walk up here. God, I need your help. Fill me with your spirit to preach your word. Now, if that was the only time this week that I prayed for this sermon, we'd be in a mess. But those short prayers, those in the moment, God, I need you prayers are rooted in the more lengthy times of prayer that's happened throughout the week. And then even this morning, we need to be praying always. Why do we need to be praying always? Do you think Satan never takes a break from his attacks? No. How many people who have seemed like they had it all together and seemed like they were living the Christian life faithfully, but in a moment of weakness, only a moment, in a moment of weakness, a moment when their eyes were taken off of Jesus, did we see them fall? Friends, follow this guidance that Paul gives, this command, pray always. Second, I want to say pray comprehensively. 
pray comprehensively. He says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. With all prayer and supplication. Supplications are petitions, requests. I don't think he's making a real sharp distinction between these two, but I think he's talking about a variety in our prayers. What's the bulk of the prayers that we pray? It's the laundry list, right? It's the thing, God, we need this, and, and we need this, and can you help us with this? And, and God wants to hear those things. He wants us to bring our requests to him. He says, pray with all prayer and supplication. But if, he told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore I exhort you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So if all we ever do is ask for the things, our prayers are lopsided. They're, they're imbalanced. So we need to ask for things as we need them, yes, but we also need to make sure we're spending time giving thanks to God, giving praise to Him for who He is and for all that He's done. Don't neglect Him because of His goodness to you. But also, we don't just pray for ourselves, but we also need to be praying for other people. Intercession. People who have real needs. Pray for lost people. Pray for the unchurched. Pray for missionaries. And so we need to pray with a variety of prayers. And so I, I encourage you occasionally to assess your prayer life. Are you lopsided in one of these things? And usually it's the, the God, I need this list. But make sure we're praying always with all prayer and supplication. The third thing is this, pray in the Spirit. That's what he says just next. Pray always with all prayer and supplications in the Spirit. Now, some people will hear you say pray in the Spirit, and they think you're talking about some, you know, tongue of angels and spiritual language and, and all kinds of, well, let's just say crazy stuff that gets published on TV and the Internet. Well, that's not what we're talking about at all. You see, when we pray, our, our general model is this, that we, we come to the Father in prayer. We come through Jesus because He's given us access and we pray in the Holy Spirit. We pray to our Father who, who loves us and, and desires to answer our requests. The only re reason we're able to come is because Jesus has died for us, because He saved us, and because even now He's standing at the Father's right hand making intercession for us. But that's not all that's going on when you pray. When you pray, you also have the Holy Spirit inside of you. To pray in the Spirit is to pray in accordance with God's will. And to pray as you are enabled by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. I mean, how do you even know what to pray for? You have times like that. I don't know what to pray in this situation. But we have the Holy Spirit. He says, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He, all, he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Listen, this will put confidence in your prayers. I want you sometime this week, just when you take time to pray, before you ever pray for anything, just rehearse this to yourself and talk to God about it. Sometimes I do this, and boy, it's encouraging. Father, I come to you right now to pray. And I come encouraged because I know you are my father, that you love me, and that you want to hear from me. Jesus, I come confidently because I'm praying to the father, but you're at his right hand making intercession for me. Not only am I praying to the father right now, but you're praying to the father on my behalf. You're taking up for me. You're making sure I get what I need. And Holy Spirit, 
It's not all just going on in heaven right there, but Holy Spirit, you're with me right now and you're praying for me. Friends, if you would realize that when you pray that the Father wants to hear from you, that Jesus is praying for you at the Father's right hand, and that the Holy Spirit is inside praying for you too, you can pray with confidence that God is hearing you and that he will answer your prayers. You have the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Seek his will even in what to pray. And trust that he's praying for you. Fourth, pray watchfully. Pray watchfully. He says, being watchful to this end. We need to be watchful for for many reasons. We need to be watchful because, one, Jesus is coming. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 13. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly, he should find you sleeping. So what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Pray watchfully. Pray with an eye to the return of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, some of the things we pray for, if you think about the fact that Jesus could come at any moment, those things we pray for really don't matter. But if we're praying like we're in a spiritual war, we're praying knowing that one day Jesus is coming. That we're going to be with him for all of eternity and he's going to set things right here on earth. Pray watchfully because Jesus is coming, but pray watchfully because you're going to be under attack. And you need to keep a watch on yourself. In the very next chapter in Mark uh, 14, you remember Jesus was praying in the garden and he said that he came and he found them sleeping. His disciples were sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And you know that Jesus went off to pray again. And what did Peter do? Did he, did he straighten up and, and get to praying again? No, he fell asleep again, didn't he? He didn't watch. And what happened? He denied the Lord. And he wept bitterly because he hadn't stood with his own Savior. Friends, we have to keep watch on ourselves when we pray. Pray watchfully, knowing that we are under attack, knowing that we are susceptible to temptation. When you see other people sin and when you hear about other people who have fallen, don't point the finger and say, yep, I saw that coming. Man, they really didn't have it all together, did they? No, you look at them and you say, Lord, help me not to fall. Help me to stand. Because we need help. Pray watchfully. Pray perseveringly, Ms. Fifth. Pray perseveringly. He says, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Romans 12, Paul says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. God doesn't always give us right what we, just exactly what we ask for right when we ask for it. And we can trust him because we know that his timing is right. If he did it when we asked for it, it wouldn't be right. But God gives us the things that we need in his time, sometimes just to make us trust him and depend on him a little more. And I wonder how many things it's been that we've we've prayed for for some time and God was ready to give us the answer, but then just before the answer came, we stopped praying. Friends, let me encourage you. 
don't stop praying. I don't know what things you've been praying for, some of you maybe even for years. There may be lost people, you may have wayward children, you may have uh, health issues and things like that that you've been praying for for a long time. And you're discouraged and you think, why do I bother? Let me encourage you. Keep praying. Keep praying. Until you get a clear answer from God, you keep praying. Persevere in your prayers. In Acts 12, you'll remember that, that James was put to death by Herod. And I'm sure the church was devastated that one of their leaders had been uh, executed. And then they find out that Peter's also been locked up. And he's set to be executed too. And what did the church do? They prayed. They gathered in the house of uh, Mark. And the Bible tells us that they prayed continually, earnestly fervently for Peter. And they prayed all night because Peter was in the, in the prison cell. He was dead asleep, chained to a guard. And the church is in another place, whether he knows it or not. He might have assumed they were praying for him, but he doesn't know. But they're over here praying fervently, God, release Peter. It's probably what they prayed for. It's what I'd want them to pray for. God does it. He comes and he, he releases Peter, frees him from his prison sale and Peter's out in the street and he thinks it's been all, all a dream and he sort of realizes that this is reality, that he's been set free and he's standing in the, the street alone and so he makes his way to the house and he knocks on the door and they're inside praying and, and Rhoda, this servant girl, she comes to the door and she sees it's Peter. She's so excited she doesn't even open the door and she runs back and leaves him standing outside and says, hey, it's Peter. And they all say, be quiet, we're trying to pray. <laughs> we're praying for Peter, leave us alone. He's at the door. Oh, it's not him, it's his ghost, it's his spirit. But they went back to praying. Even if they weren't convinced that they were going to have their answer, even if their faith was small, they were still praying until she says, Peter is at the door. So she goes back and lets him in. Friends, we need to pray that way. Pray until the answer assuredly comes. That God has heard and has answered our prayers. Pray earnestly, pray continually, pray fervently perseveringly. Number six, pray for all the saints. Pray for all the saints. At the end of verse 18, he says just that. Pray with perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Boy, is it easy to pray for myself. You know, I see my needs before I see anybody else's. And I, I'm usually the first one on my prayer list, whether it's on paper or not. That's what comes out. But we're called to pray for one another and to pray together. You remember in the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 when Jesus says, pray like this. How does he begin? What's the very first word? Our Father in heaven. He is your Father and you should rejoice in that. You should rest in that. But he's not just your Father. He's our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Meet our needs. Lord, I pray for my needs. You know what I need. And I, I pray for the needs of my home and my family. But I want to pray for the needs of this congregation too. I want to pray for the needs of the church down the road. I want to pray for the needs of the missionaries and all the saints. 
Pray beyond yourself. Pray for the needs of others. And what else does he say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Pray that people will find forgiveness with God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You should be praying that your fellow Christians along with you would be kept from sin and kept from the attacks of the evil one. Listen, we're in, we're in war, right? We're in, when you're in a war, you don't want to be on the battlefield all alone, do you? And even if you're out there with other people, you don't want every man for himself. You want people who are going to work together, who are going to unite together to support each other and defend one another. And church, how do we do that? We pray for one another. We pray for all the saints. And then seventh, pray for a bold witness. Pray for a bold witness. Paul says in verse 19, pray for me that utterance might be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I'll just be honest with you. When I think of people who need to pray for boldness, I don't think about Paul. I mean the apostle Paul, right? If there was ever a super Christian, it was Paul, the mighty church planner, the great missionary, probably the most faithful man in all of church history, Paul, I mean, he's bold. You see it all through the book of Acts, how he just stands upright and preaches the gospel to crowds and to multitudes and turns and says harsh words and sharp words, even to some of, the own, some of the own, his own apostles. But here's Paul writing a letter from a prison cell. And he says, pray for me. What do you want us to pray for you, Paul? Pray that I would open my mouth boldly. Pray that I would open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. That's sort of an interesting thought. I mean, if an ambassador is in chains, there's going to be war, right? <laughs> I Googled it to see if that ever, like, you know, maybe when, that, when that's happened before in history, it turns out, some ambassador got arrested like a week ago <laughs> by, by us, though, not, not, a, not by another country. But Paul's an ambassador for the king of kings. He's an ambassador for God in earth, on earth, and he's in chains, and he's no doubt discouraged. And he says, pray that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Friends, our, our weapon against the spiritual enemy is what? It's the word of God. He said just that last week. He said, take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. That's your only offense is God's word. And the only way to get it out there is to speak it boldly. If, if sharing the gospel, if speaking the word of God is a fearful thing to you, then pray for boldness. Start with prayer. You know, some people would say, well, just get out there and do it till you're comfortable with it. I don't say that. Don't do that at all. You need God's help. Pray that God would give you boldness. And let's pray for one another that God would give us boldness. In Acts 4, uh, when the church, or when Peter and John had gone to the temple to pray and they'd healed a man, and the religious leaders didn't like it and they, they threatened them, they, they, they beat them, and they said, don't speak in the name of Jesus again, and they sent them on their way. They went and gathered with the church again, and then what did they do? They prayed. And Acts 4.29 says, here, here's what they prayed. They said, now, Lord, look on their threats. And grant to your servants 
that with all boldness they may speak your word. Do you think that's a prayer that God would answer? A prayer for boldness? Absolutely he would. How do I know? Two verses later. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. They prayed for boldness. Two verses later, God gives them boldness. What would happen if you prayed for boldness? I dare say God just might give you boldness. Let me leave you with one note of encouragement. We'll let Paul leave you with a note of encouragement. Be encouraged knowing this. At the end of this letter, and as we go on in our spiritual lives, we are not in this war alone. I want you to hear that. Listen, you are not in this war alone. You're in a war, yes, but you're not by yourself. You have the Spirit of God. You have your Lord Jesus with you at all times. But even so, you're not alone. Paul wrote this letter and and he sent a man named Tychicus to go to his brethren, those in Ephesus, to give a report about how he was doing while he was in prison so that they would be encouraged and that he may comfort your hearts, he says. But not only is is Paul doing this for their benefit so that they would be encouraged, but he's not in it alone either because what did he just do? He just asked them to pray for him. He tells them to pray for all the saints. But then here he is, the Apostle Paul, the missionary, the church planter. He recognizes that he doesn't have it all together himself. And he says, and pray for me. Pray for me. And I want you all to remember that you are in a spiritual war. But also that you don't have to fight alone. You have a body of believers around you. And we're to be praying for one another as a group, yes. But sometimes you might need to go find somebody you trust. Or even speak up in a prayer meeting and say, hey, listen. I just got to be honest. I need you all to pray for me. We're here for one another. Let's pray for unity. For a single-mindedness in this congregation. That we'll love one another. And that we'll love this world that we're trying to reach. And that we'll lock arms. And stand strong together. And live this life that is full of the Holy Spirit. Would you bow with me for prayer? Our Father, we... We know that the Christian life is often difficult and that we are frequently under attack. We easily get discouraged, we're run down, we feel the pressures all around us. But Lord, we praise you that you have not left us to fend for ourselves, but that you've made your own strength available. You've put your spirit inside of us. And we have access to your help, your strength, all your resources through prayer. May we be a people who prays fervently, earnestly, continually. Not only for ourselves, but for one another. And I pray for a unity in this congregation that has never been seen a greater unity 
than we've ever experienced, centered on what God's word says and on the mission that he's called us to. May we stand together as we fight in this spiritual war. In Jesus' name, amen.